are very future-based, right? They're always about what are we going to do in the future or whatever. Um, and, and that's awesome. But I think it's also important to remember that life is happening right now, right? Life isn't happening 10 years down the time. Life isn't happening when you have a grad job. If you ask most people older than you, they'll say their best moments were in university, right? So I don't think students should forget that. It can be so easy to caught up in the after university world and I'm in it now. And I can tell you that don't, on top of all this stuff, finding your purpose, whatever, just enjoy the time. and pathways conversation where we inform challenge and inspire students by allowing people to share their stories as humans and professionals in today's episode we are joined by Sachin Shah uh, Sachin was a project manager at Young Change Agents until recently where he was able to combine his passions for social entrepreneurship social impact and innovation to mentor and develop Australia's next generation of leaders um, we we're talking just off air and he's currently a graduate at Deloitte now um, which is something that we'll get into a lot more um, in the conversation. Um, in 20, was it 2019 when you co-founded the Saturn and Adam show? Yeah. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. Perfect. So in that, in that, that's essentially a podcast um, that you co-founded with your best friend or your, one of your good friends, Adam Miller. Um, together, they probe the minds of entrepreneurs, uh, philosophers, and activists, uh, sharing their experiences and knowledge uh, to help young people to develop and grow uh, personally as well as professionally. Uh, along the way, Sachin has developed his passions and interests in business and social entrepreneurship uh, in different capacities at 180 Degrees Consulting, Hamper, Anactus, Deloitte, and Hudson Pacific Group. Uh, he is currently, well, he was a final year uh, student um, of a commerce degree at UCIT, which is currently graduated, um, majoring in economics and finance. Um, but for me personally, Sachin's story is so much more than his strictly professional commitments. Um, whether it be competing in a bodybuilding competition, which I'm excited to talk about, um, delivering a TEDx speech with his brother, Arian, um, or the hundreds of hours of uh, podcast material that he's produced alongside Adam. Um, we'll get into all that and a lot more as well. Um, but for now, thank you for joining the conversation, Sachin. Thanks, dude. And I think before we, uh, before we start recording, I was just saying how important I think this project is. So I'll just yeah. say that publicly now. Well done with everything you've done. No, I appreciate that, man. Likewise. And I mean, I think a common sort of theme between, you know, both our podcasts is, you know, capturing and reflecting the experiences of, of young people and, you know, leveraging those experiences. And, um, you know, as, as I was mentioning just off air, one of those experiences, which I thought was particularly interesting was, um, you know, the fact that you competed in a, a bodybuilding competition. Um, that was something that I naturally gravitated, um, you know, towards um, when I was hearing your story um, through a few podcast episodes that you've done. Um, and in those episodes, you've described that, that period of your life as, you know, being one of the toughest and scariest um, parts of your life. Um, so, I mean, I initially came across that story um, on the Driven Young podcast with Byron Dempsey, who I think is a friend of yours. Um, and I don't want to spoil, spoil the story too much. Um, but you were essentially challenged by a close friend to compete in that competition. Um, so Sachin, let's start there. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, how you came across that competition and, um, you know, tell us about, you know, the why, um, as to why you engaged in that, in that yeah, sort of so, activity. So it all started um, over in the Netherlands when me and Adam were on exchange. So we actually lived together. And as you can imagine, that household was very dysfunctional. 
And towards the end of our exchange, we're setting our goals for the next year. Um, and I, I, I take this very seriously. I, I try and challenge myself with something new every year. And I was talking to Adam. I was like, Adam, what can I do? And he said to me, look, over the last two years, you've been relatively comfortable from his perspective. I, I didn't feel that way, but he thought I'd been relatively comfortable in all the things I've attempted or tried to do. And he said, why not get really far out of the comfort zone, out of your comfort zone and do the thing that scares you most. And he knew that, that, that I was doing a bodybuilding comp. And the reason why is that a bodybuilding comp is something that literally takes everything out of you for like every moment of the day, right? When you're combining the dieting with the training, every moment of the day, probably towards the last month, you just feel insanely hungry. Like there's no getting away from it. There's nothing you can do without feeling insanely hungry. Even when you go to bed, you can barely sleep because of the hunger pains. And so he knew that this was going to challenge me immensely. Um, and being the friend he is, or what I don't want to swear on here, but he, he made me do it anyway. So that all started in the Netherlands and it involved a period of obviously bulking up for a little bit. I'd been gymming for about three, four years um, since high school. And I always like, arrogantly joke to my friends like oh I should I should I should, should do a competition but completely joking and and then so yeah so I actually then committed to that and begun that process um so again involved that bulking up and then I actually got a coach for when I shredded down mm. and in that last period of let's say let's call it 12 13 weeks before I did this show when I was shredding mm. down I was also interning at Deloitte and doing uni full-time and that took everything out of me. So I think I was four days a week working and then obviously the full-time uni. And mm. in the later stages of a comp, you're basically, you're doing cardio every day. So you're on the treadmill for an hour every day. And then you're also training every day. So that's that's two hours in the gym. Plus you have to cook all your own food. Um, every, every little kind of calorie you eat is weighed out. Um, so your whole day, you're, you're revolving around your food and your brain just gets so foggy because it's hard to concentrate. And as I mentioned, the young podcast in the last few weeks, I was getting black spots in my vision. I was probably sleeping an hour or two a night because my hunger pains were that bad. And mm. your body just goes into full flight or flight. Like you feel really anxious all the time. Um, mm. And yeah, man, that, that like, it, it was yeah. a tough experience. Yeah, man. I mean, just listening to some of the, I mean, it's, it's pain and suffering at the end of the day, like what you endured. I mean, for you, I mean, from my understanding, there wasn't necessarily like a burning desire like a childhood desire to be a bodybuilder or, or whatever the case it was, you, you had a different purpose and a different why. Um, so along those same lines, you know, when you're, you know, training twice a day, you know, doing an insane cut, uh, waking up early, balancing your work commitments, do you think, I mean, in your own experience, was it important for you to have a really strong why um, to fall back on when you're, you know, you're down and out, you're in the trenches and you're, you're on your last legs, essentially? hundred percent. And to be honest, I actually struggled with that because mm. I had this why of manufacturing personal hardship. I had this why of pushing myself really far out of my comfort zone. And with the benefit of hindsight, I think that was awesome. Now, when I kind of try and do things or push myself, it doesn't really mm. feel that hard. But I did struggle in the comp because compared to everyone else, I didn't have this innate desire to be a bodybuilder driving me. Mm. I didn't have this innate desire to look really good. Honestly, I think that stuff is very narcissistic. And I struggled with that so much where I had to do a lot of soul searching of 
why am I spending this time in this area? I could be spending this time on the podcast with my mm. job where I'm actually impacting other people whilst now I'm doing completely selfish endeavor. So I think there was moments of the comp where I almost dropped out, not because of the hardship that I could endure, but it was just like, why am I doing this? And when you kind of meet people in the community, you realize that a, a lot of it is ego driven. Um, a lot of these people actually develop eating disorders because they get so fixated on how they're looking all the time. And it's not a healthy world to be in. It's a very selfish world. It's a very, mm. when is my next calorie? Like, how do I track my meals? When you're out with your friends, you have to go to a special place. It's like, you know, calorie friendly and stuff like that. So no, yeah. you strong why? And sometimes I struggle with that. Yeah. I mean, like along those same lines, you mentioned off air that, you know, you wanted to get a message or you wanted to get a particular part of that journey across, which was that, essentially it's it's not for everyone it's people have you know different goals different priorities um, and you might not necessarily you know um, encourage other people to engage in a similar sort of um, competition um, was that the case or tell us a bit about you know um, that idea. I, I, I really believe in pushing yourself out of your comfort zone but mm. that bodybuilding comp was just one vehicle towards that and mm. I feel like a lot of young men around our age testosterone's pumping we think yeah. like, oh, let's do a bodybuilding comp kind of thing. Like a lot of my friends have been like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I always just ask them, why you want to do it, first of all? And second of all, is there any other way you can achieve the, you know, the change you want through doing this comp? Is there any other vehicle towards doing that? Like I would much rather recommend my friends do a triathlon or something like that than a bodybuilding comp because you can mm. do that without your relationship suffering. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And kind of whilst living a functional, functional life. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, but I, I do think the premise of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone is something that leads to um, kind of exponential growth. Do you think that, you know, had you not engaged in that competition, like, I mean, do you think that if you didn't engage in that competition, you wouldn't have known you know, how far you can go or you wouldn't have known your, your limits and your capabilities? So Sid, as like probably two months ago, I would have answered this question differently, but I've mm. kind of started to believe more that we all have a certain trajectory. If you think back to who you were as high school, in, a, in high school, yes, we've developed, we've learned more about the world, but I think we're all fundamentally very similar people. Our kind of self-talk and who we are on the inside is very similar to who we are in high school. At least that's what I believe. So I think that, no, I, I, I think I would have been a, a fairly similar person. I would have probably done, found something else to do um, I was actually, I actually swam, I'm actually doing ocean swimming at the moment. So I, I did an ocean swim with one of my friends yesterday. So I think it's, it's kind of part of my personality and mm -hmm. I would have found another vehicle to, you know, challenge myself. But in mm -hmm. saying that, I don't think I could have found another vehicle as difficult for me. So I'm yeah. really grateful to have had that experience. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, you know, putting yourself outside of your, your comfort zone and trying different things, um, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the, the interview, um, another important part of your story is, you know, the podcast that you co-founded with Adam uh, called The Sachin and Adam Show. Um, you know, it, it originally, you know, had a different name, The Humans of Sydney. Um, but essentially, you know, based on my understanding, um, it was founded on both your, your mutual um, uh, interest in, you know, connecting with people, networking uh, and leveraging the experiences of um, other entrepreneurs, young people, philosophers or whatever the case may be. Um, so for those that, you know, aren't familiar with, with that podcast, can you firstly tell us a bit about the podcast? Um, what was the purpose behind it? And essentially, what was the why behind um, starting that, that project? 
Yeah, so we actually have a bit of a convoluted story. So mm. the reason we started it initially was that Adam and I were getting coffees with lots of people. Um, I think we both went through, in a period, through a period in 2018 where we're getting coffees with two different people each week. And that was leaders older than us or maybe students older than us. And we just generally want to learn from them. It wasn't career-based. It was just like, we want to learn about their lives, what made them tick, their lessons um, for younger people. Because we both fundamentally believe in the philosophy that we're going to make a lot of mistakes in our lives. That's how we learn, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't want to make the same mistakes that people older than us made. We want to make different ones and continue that kind of exponential learning curve. And so through these coffees, we were learning so much, um, a lot more than in my university degree. Um, I'm also a person that learns from conversations as well. And we're getting so many unique insights. And we thought that so many students would benefit from hearing these insights. Um, we, set out, we set out to record um, these insights and document them just for other people to listen to. We didn't have actually really, didn't even really have an ambition of starting a podcast. Um, the way it actually went down is we're sitting in an economic history lecture, lecture and we were both really bored. It was like hour two or three. The lecture was boring. Um, and Adam searched up the podcast room. Like we just, we didn't even know if there was anything. We just joked about talking about exchange and he um, searched it up. And it was just one of those moments. We just looked at each other. He booked it. We left the class. We both got a Red Bull and we just started talking. And we released that first episode with no real intention. And it did quite well. A lot of people said they enjoyed our conversation. So we're like, hey, why don't, why don't we bring in some guests and um, let, let's see how this thing goes. I mean, it's cool to hear how it pretty much organically was created um, in, that, in that boring lecture you, you both had. I mean, you, you mentioned there as well about, you know, like you mentioned mistakes, making mistakes, and you alluded to like the, the risk of failure. And, you know, for me personally, that's something that has been on my mind a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of other students out there, whether it be high school or university, you know, come across a similar sort of idea of, you know, oh shit, what if this goes wrong? Or, you know, what are the consequences of, of failing if I do a certain project, start a podcast or whatever the case may be? Um, did you and Adam, you know, come across a risk of failure or a risk of making a mistake at all? Or did you have a total different experience? It was a different experience in the sense yeah. that this podcast was a fundamental extension to who we are as people, right? We're mm -hmm. both, if you meet us in real life, we're both really curious. We ask people lots of questions. It almost feels like some of our conversations with friends are already podcasts. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I don't think we had that sense of failure, but obviously when you're putting yourself out there on the internet, you're leaving yourself open for judgment. And I think that when you're coming from a place where you're fundamentally confident in who you are, it's a lot easier. And I think this podcast was an expression of who we are. And if we're confident with that, I don't think either of us had a major problem. Obviously, there's going to be people out there who think what both of us are doing is weird. Like, why are they talking on a podcast? <laughs> who do they think they are and stuff like that? But I think as I've gotten a bit older, I've really stopped caring about those people. My circle's gone tighter. Everyone that I hang out with has a very similar mindset. And I think in our heads, we always kind of overemphasize how much other people care about what you're doing, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. About what we're doing all the time. People don't really care that much, right? <laughs> and I think that as we get older as well, doing your own thing is cool. Like it's actually cool. And I think that other people respect it more than they would put it down. Yeah, I think, yeah, you mentioned, I mean, Recently, I was thinking about the same thing about how we overstate our own importance in, in other people's lives as well. So I definitely resonate with that there. Um, I mean, 
a part of sharing those stories is uh, facilitating access to the experiences of, of whoever you're interviewing. Um, I think like in the bio of your YouTube page, you talk about um, democratizing those conversations for everyone. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know what democratize meant before that, but my understanding is that it essentially means to make it something accessible. So um, was, that, was that sort of grounded in a personal experience about you know, getting access to, to the stories of these inspirational uh, and knowledgeable, knowledgeable people and leveraging those experiences? Yeah, 100%. So as I mentioned before, most of my best learnings or most profound insights have come from people older than me and those kinds mm. of conversations. And I felt, I've always been very passionate about um, equality of opportunity. Mm. And I felt that giving people an insight into these people's minds is one of the best ways I can facilitate equality of opportunity. Because I think that we should all have access to the same amount of information. It, then it comes, then it, um, the onus is on the individual about what they do with that information. Mm. Um, but I, I also think that as a, as a podcast has developed, I don't think that insight is as profound as I may lead on because there's so many podcasts out there. There's so many amazing guests. There's almost an mm. abundance of information out there. So I think that's led to Adam and I doing some soul searching of what's our unique value add, especially mm. because we're operating in that space, that kind of Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan space, where we're interviewing people that have fairly big names now. And mm. we're, 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 it's taken some soul searching of what's our unique value add compared to these other guests. Um, and I think that as our podcast has moved towards that, that's something we've been considering more, but mm. it, it almost operates as a juxtaposition of something like your podcast. Cause I see it operating in a white space in the sense that there's no one really doing what you're doing right now. And I think you've identified a real kind of niche, um, mm. and then solving an important problem. But now, cause we're operating in this more generalist space, it is, it does mm, take some yeah. soul searching about what you're uniquely adding to the equation. Yeah, I suppose over time that definitely changes. And we were talking off air about how, um, you know, over the, the last couple of years since you've been doing the podcast, um, you know, the substance, the format, um, who you're interviewing has changed naturally over time. Um, so, I mean, I want to, I bring that up to bring up a more general point, um, which I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, do you think there's, do you think particularly with young people, there's this obsession with, you know, perfection and um, you know, going into a certain endeavor or project with this idea that, oh, it has to be perfect. It has to cross all the X's and O's, dot the T's and the I's. Um, for you, do you think that's, that's an idea that's, that's out there at all? Or um, I know you may not subscribe to that, but just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's the biggest kind of roadblock for people getting started with projects. Um, mm. And as I said before, it's all in your own mind. People don't notice those minor details a lot of the time. People don't, people don't seek perfection, right? And I've, it's something that's never really bothered me. One, because I have really low attention to detail, but two, what's framed my thinking so much is the lean startup and that whole kind of fail fast, iterate fast mindset. So for me, like getting a quick MVP out, getting feedback, improving it, going through that constant iteration um, rather than spending a lot of time getting something that's 90% there. It may not even be hitting the nail on the head of what people want or what's important to people and then having to start again. Mm. Um, I, I very much subscribe by that lean startup mentality, which is getting like an MVP out, which is a minimal viable product or yeah. something that you can get feedback on quickly so then you can continuously improve it, right? Yeah. I think yeah. that a lot of people get stuck in their own preconceptions of what the thing should look like rather than actually asking the people they're trying to serve. 
Mm. And I think, yeah, what you're touching on is, you know, the risks of overthinking. And I suppose you can rationalize it all you want, but there comes a point when thinking comes counterproductive, I suppose. Um, and I guess, you know, that sort of reminds me of um, a book I was reading this week um, the co from the co-founder of Netflix, Mark Randolph. And he was saying that, um, the, I mean, the quote was, you can learn more in an hour of doing something than a lifetime, you know, thinking about something. And I think that sort of, based on my conversation, that's something that, you know, you might resonate with as well. Um, and I think for you personally, you, would you describe yourself more as like a doer than a thinker? Would you, would 100%. you say? Like, I think yeah. that the majority of time we can't think our way out of most things. And I think mm. a lot of time spent thinking is counterproductive. Yeah. Um, and you, yeah, a hundred percent. As I said, yeah. I come from that startup world. My dad's studying business at the moment. I'm very much about trying something and seeing how it goes. Um, and often it's like very, as, as I mentioned before with the story of how we started the podcast, it's often very, very like quick the way we try something. Um, mm. But I think that's led to kind of the, the, the journey is really important to how we are now, but I'm so glad that we started it and just didn't really overthink it. Yeah, I mean, at this point in the, the podcast journey specifically, you've recorded over hundreds of hours of podcasts, you know, thousands of hours of listening. Um, so I just wanted to get like some insights. It's not every day that you get to interview someone who has their own podcast um, and you've interviewed, you know, so many people who have done some really cool things. So, I mean, you know, I wanted to ask, um, you know, has there been a standout conversation, a personal favorite? Uh, I know you can't choose a favorite child, but um, has there been a particular episode that stuck out with you or that's been particularly interesting? Yeah. Um, so in recent memory, one of my favorite ones was with Evan Wong. So he's the founder of a company called Checkbox AI, and he's also started a tutoring company in the past. And I think that he's one of the he's one of the people I've come across recently that's a, like a true visionary. He spoke about how he wants to take Checkbox to a billion dollar company and how he wants to be along for the whole ride. And I think that that reflects a broader theme that we've um, seen throughout our podcast, which is it, it, it's the antithesis of this whole idea that we should kind of be checkboxing our resumes, doing two years here, two years here, two years here. A lot of our guests have been saying that to build something meaningful, you need to invest in the long run. It needs to be something you really want to do in the long run. And you need to be able to commit over a decade to really achieve some change, right? And the, the way our brains are wired right now with our phones getting that instant feedback all the time is towards instant gratification. And I think that's dangerous because we don't want to stay in things for a long period of time. So that's been a big learning, a big learning thing for me recently is that I'm someone that I want to always be doing different things all the time. And I think now I'm more thinking about what I want to be building over 20, 30 years, because over that period of time, you can make something or build something that really matters and mm. um, that really compounds over time. So that I think that's been yeah. a, a really um, big insight recently. And I think, you know, while we're on that topic of, you know, 20, 30 years and having a, a vision or a purpose in the long term, um, I suppose that, you know, touches on your, your bottom up and top down approach, which um, I definitely wanted to touch on. Uh, I came across it in, or firstly on the Driven Young uh, um, podcast, then uh, on episode 28 uh, of your own podcast, Beers with Saturn and Adam. Um, and I, I thought that was a really cool um, you know, strategy, I guess, uh, and, and approach to, um, your pers personal and professional life. So um, can you, for those that aren't aware of your, your particular approach, can you give our um, viewers an insight into that particular mindset? 
Yeah, for sure. And Sid, I think you know our podcast better than we do because I had no idea what episode 28 was. Um, yeah, so, so the top-down, bottom-up approach is kind of an analogy I use to the way I live my life. So as I've kind of developed throughout university, something that's been really important to me and has really grounded me is daily habits. And that's where the bottom-up comes from. So the daily habits, I think, really make me perform at my best. They make me a pretty happy individual and they make me connect... Um, with people around me a lot better than I would if I didn't have them. And I'm also a creature of habit. I need that because there's so much chaos going on inside my head, so many ideas all the time that I need these things to ground me in every day. And it also makes, and it also ensures that you're a happy, healthy individual, which I think is more important than a lot of this other stuff we talk about a lot. So, so those bottom-up habits, what they look like for me is um, every day I wake up, I have a cold shower, um, I'll do meditation, I exercise every day pretty religiously, um, I eat healthily. I um, drink a lot of water. I just, I just kind of make sure I and I sleep at least eight hours. Chuck on the blue light blockers. I'm pretty into all that kind of um, biohacking yeah, yeah. stuff. But, but for me, that that makes sure that I'm performing every day. That makes sure that when someone needs me, when my family needs me, I can show up. Um, and that over the time, that I'm, I know I'm not deteriorating myself because my worst nightmare is to work too hard and just burn out. Um, Cause that's not what I want to do. I want to um, kind of continuously show up every day. So that's a bottom up. Um, and I think that if everyone does, does those kinds of things, they will, um, I, I know I keep saying the word exponentially, but I'm going to use it again, will yeah. exponentially improve their life because those things to me have had a profound impact on my mood, et cetera. And then the second part of it is the top down. And the top down is about having a vision. So having a vision of where you want to go, where you're heading. Because I think that if you do that bottom-up stuff without having a vision, that's going to lead to existential angst because you're not going to know why you, you need to be performing well. You're not going to know why that stuff is important, right? So having finding a vision, and it's so much easier said than done. Um, finding a vision of where you want to go is very difficult. It does help talking to a lot of people. It does help doing some soul-searching about what are your intrinsic interests when you strip away all the noise in society. Um but I think combining those two together, you make sure you can show up and you're a happy person, a present person, et cetera. But then you're also moving towards something. And I think as humans, we, we, need, a, we need to justify our existence on this earth and we need to try and be moving towards something. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned there like the idea of soul searching. And um, I just wanted to ask, was in developing your own you know, bottom-up and top-down approaches, did that happen overnight or did that happen over months, weeks, years? Um, yeah. Tell us, yeah, give us the insight into, into that process. Yeah, so it, it definitely took years and don't think that it's like an official process. As I mentioned before, mm -hmm. that it's actually an analogy I came up with just on the spot. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, those habits are really important. And the most happiest people I know have those habits. Um, and, and I think it's more about the individual habits. It's the fact that you're showing up for yourself every day. It's the fact that you're kind of telling yourself that you matter and I almost see these habits as an extension of self-love. Like you're showing yourself that you matter and that you're important and you're doing things that make you perform better, um, which I think that is important for everyone to do because being a student these days can get chaotic. We have the, all these stimulus around us all the time. It's really mm. hard to find time for yourself. Um, yeah. And so, so the way I came up across it is I've always been a macro thinker. I've always believed in having a big vision. Um, but I've also always believed in the small things. Like I think the beauties of life are those little moments you have every day. So it was combining those two things together. Um, and also funnily enough, there's a philosophy subject I did at university, which was the philosophy of happiness. And 
we talked a lot about fulfillment um, in the long run. And we talked about how a lot of religious people are more happy than non-religious people because they have that, that macro thing. They have that thing that gives them meaning. They have that sense of community um, that obviously makes them happy and that sense of purpose. So I was like, how can I combine those elements to make religion so good into my own life? And I wouldn't really consider myself a religious person. Mm, yeah. I mean, I wanted to transition now, Sachin, just in the interest of time, um, to one of your passions, which is for social impact and social justice. Um, you mentioned previously that, you know, since a young age, you know, those have always been um, you know, some burning desires uh, of yours. Uh, and you've more specifically stated that um, you're passionate about the intersection between two things, uh, that being business and impact. Um, and you've already touched on uh, previously about how you're interested in uh, equality of opportunity rather than outcome. Um, so I just wanted to get um, an insight into where exactly that passion has come from and, you know, how have you expressed that in your, you know, university life or professional capacity in different positions or roles or experiences that you've undertaken? Yeah, um, so this will be a pretty long answer, so feel free to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, I'll I've done a lot of thinking about this. So from a very young age, I've always had this kind of um, this passion for social justice. Um, and it manifested itself in high school when I was involved in a lot of social justice projects. But I, I think that where it came from is my brother. So my brother has a disability, um, cerebral palsy, and he's the most amazing person you'll ever meet. So he gets up every day with a smile on his face. He's done so much. He leaves, like he makes me, my achievements seem like they're nothing because he's just done so much in his short life. And I think growing up every day, seeing my brother show up, try and create as many opportunities for himself as possible, um, see my family unit changing so much so that it could facilitate the best life for him um, as possible. I realized that this stuff can happen for other people. And my brother is so lucky to grow up in Australia to have access to all these opportunities um, lucky enough that my mom could stop work when she when he was born to kind of look after him and give him the best opportunity full time, right? And I so my my parents also were both born in Africa. Um, uh, my family um, spent a lot of time in East Africa, and I've spent some time there as well. And I think from a very young age, there was nights I couldn't sleep because I'd always think about someone that's the same age as me, similar characteristics, but through no but through pure luck, I'm here in Australia and they're in, let, let's say, for example, Uganda and struggling struggling to eat, right? And not having opportunity for education. And that's something that's really bothered me from a young age. And I didn't really know what I could do about it. I still don't really know. Um, and so as I graduated high school, I graduated with that kind of duality of experience with my brother and that kind of, you know, understanding of what people go through. Um, and so as I transitioned to university, I thought, first of all, I want to be a human rights lawyer. Um, and then I looked at the how many human rights law subjects you do in a degree. And I realized that it wasn't for me. Um, second of all, I thought I wanted to work for the World Bank. And so that's why I originally studied, started economics. But as I, as I came into high school, uh, sorry, as I came into university, um, I discovered entrepreneurship and that really um, kind of stood out to my personality because I'm someone that like doesn't like status quo thinking. I like creating stuff. I like moving fast and that energy of the space really stood out to me. And then um, further down my journey, I discovered social entrepreneurship, which was the best of both worlds, right? It was my passion for social justice and also my passion for business combining into one kind of very convenient package. And I was like, cool. 
And I and that that really made me rethink the narrative about business that I kind of grew up with, and I imagine most of your audience would have grown up with, is that business is bad. It's all about money. Um, to have social impact, you need to join a not-for-profit, um, not make the best salary, et cetera, et cetera. And I've realized now that that narrative is complete bullshit. Like one of my biggest mentors, Chamath Palahapitiya, I say mentor, but I've never met him. He's just someone I look up to. Um, he has a fund called Social Impact Capital. And essentially they invest in businesses that he thinks are going to change the world. A lot of um, kind of climate change tech, a lot of med tech, and he's compounded more returns than Warren Buffett. And um, he's, he's going to be on track to be returning 15, 20% a year to his investors, which is absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, and another um, kind of experience that stands out to me is I was watching uh, an address by the chairman of the World Bank. I'm not sure if chairman's the right word, maybe it's president. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was saying that he thinks that this frontier of business and social impact will be um, on the precipice of a lot of change. And he gave an example of a drone company that delivers drone in, um, that delivers blood in Africa to remote communities via drones. And they have a viable business model and they're scaling up and they're doing so much cool stuff. And to me, that's the space that excites me the most. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, you touched on it there as well, but off air, you wanted to emphasize that particularly for uni university students, um, you know, as a general principle, they come in with good intentions. Um, you know, they want to make an impact in the world. Um, you know, they're kind at heart, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I suppose what you t- what you touched on off air was that you know during your university experience, um, I-, I guess they they get uh, impacted by a sense of realism, and there's a process of almost disillusionment along the way. Um, so, uh, um, along the same lines, you talked about how. Um, there's this misconception that social impact and making money aren't mutually exclusive. So I was just wondering if you'd be able to um, explain that a bit more, uh, particularly for university students out there who might be listening. Yeah, sure. So I'll start with that second point. So mm-hmm. as I mentioned before with the Chamath example, we're, we're at a stage in society now where solving our most important problems are also the most viable business problems, so to speak, right? I truly believe this is something that Shamaf says that the first trillionaire is going to come from solving climate change. And that's already um, reflected in Elon Musk. He was briefly for, I think, three or four months, the richest man in the world through Tesla and SpaceX. And his fundamental purpose in starting those companies was to combat climate change, right? So I think we're living in an era where those two things aren't mutually exclusive anymore. And Mm. you can, solving important societal issues Um, things like even like biotech, like things like breast cancer, there's been a lot of um, innovations in that space recently. They're also financially lucrative. And I think that's awesome. I think that our smartest people should have the market incentives to go after our biggest problems and improve the biggest lives as possible. Another example I'll give, because I think this point is best um, kind of showing you examples, is a fund called, um, let me think for a second. I think uh, it's called Leapfrog. So it's a private equity um, fund um, by a guy called Andrew Andrew Cooper. And I think when all of us business students think about private equity, they think of the evil KKR, you know, cutting jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But what yeah. they're actually a social impact private equity fund and what they've done. Sorry, are you, you going to ask me? Yeah, no, I was going to say like for those non-business students, what is a private equity fund? Can you explain yeah, that? Sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, so private equity is uh, an investment 
investment class where you invest in private companies and a lot of the time you buy them out, make them more efficient and then sell them again. So it's essentially, but the reason why people sometimes can consider it evil is there's a lot of cost cutting that goes on and um, a lot of, it's a very, uh, what, what's the right way of describing it? It's a very cutthroat kind of industry. Yeah. Um, okay. and, and exa- a quick example is that a private equity firm, Bain Cap, bought um, Virgin Airlines um, okay. when they were kind of with this COVID period. So um, Andy, Andy Cooper's fund, they're a social impact private equity. And what they've done is they've bought up a few insurance companies in Africa. And in Africa, a lot of people, I think the majority of the pop- population is uninsured because there's this informational asymmetry problem where the banks don't have enough information on the individual people to insure them, right? And so what they did is they've um, bought some of these companies and they've changed them up to now insure based on um, mobile phones. So they can track some of the data of the people of mobile phones. And through that, they've um, gotten hundreds of millions of people insured, which is awesome. And it's a completely viable like business model. Um, So yeah, I, I think we're living in an exciting time. And to come back to your first point, um, the first one of your question, which was about that uncertainty that you have in university. And yeah, yeah. Um, I think what I'd say to your audience is it's always going to be there. Never think that uncertainty is going to be there. Through our podcast, we've talked to some people that we would all deem really successful. And trust me, they're as confused as you. No one ever has their life figured out. They pretend to know it. Like when I say I want to start a social impact VC, there's so many moments when I second guess that, right? Like, don't everyone in the especially in the business and law world everyone projects this sense of knowing what's going on because that's how they um you know make that's how they sell their product or they you know actually 100%. do well in business world. but uh, internally everyone has this element of imposter syndrome and in university really think about where you want to go that macro that top that top down approach i was talking about before mm. um and whatever path you think you're going to do to get there, it's not going to be, there's going to be so many iterations and weird wacky routes along the way. Yeah. I mean, for those university students out there um, who might be interested in social impact and social justice, um, and they may want to develop their interests even more. um, Obviously you're, you were in that space at university. Um, You know, I don't know much about it. So I want to, um, you know, pick your brains as much as possible. Um, In your own experience, are there, are there ways that students can get involved um, in social impact and social entrepreneurship at university? Yeah, so 100%. So there's a good society that you're from UNSW, right? I think yeah, UNSW, yeah. Macquarie, all the big unis have it, um, which is called Enactus, which is yeah. essentially about building social enterprises. And I think that's a really good introduction into that world and into that world of how business and social impact can correlate together and how... So I personally believe that... Um, Actually, why don't we take a step back? So yeah, there, there, there's so stereotypically you have your for-profit business. Think like Westpac, think like Qantas, something like that. And then on the other end, you have your um, your charity. So think like Oxfam, World Vision, etc. Right? Um, the social enterprise space exists in the middle. Right? It, it exists with a, the same purpose as these not-for-profits, but the way it's different is that these. Um, these social enterprises are using their business model to scale. They're, they're not relying on donations. They're using their own business model to scale up and continue to reinvest into reaching more people, right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, back to your question about um, ways to get involved in university, and NAFTAS is a good one. A 180 degree consulting is good because you consult for a, a variety of these organizations. But 
the, the space is growing in Australia and it's growing rapidly. And so there's a lot of opportunities at startups that are doing really cool stuff, solving really important problems um, to intern at or to work at. Um, I, I, just a few off the top of my head, one is called yeah. Ability Med, which is in the disability space, um, where actually Mike Cannon-Brooks just supported a new climate change fund for um, kind of startups that are combating climate change. So we're going to see mm -hmm. a lot of new startups in that space coming forward. So it's, it's an exciting yeah. time to be university student. Yeah, I mean, just to cap off, I suppose, this that particular part of the conversation, um, you know, I think it's no secret that, you know, you're someone who really got the most out of their university experience by putting the, putting themselves out there and uh, embracing the idea of, um, you know, self-development and exploration. Um, so I suppose a quite an open-ended question, um, based on your own experience, um, what, what advice would you give to someone out there who um, is still, you know, figuring out, um, you know, their passions and interests uh, whilst at university? Um, what advice would you give to that person to really maximize and get the most out of their experience? So, so I really wish I could give a unique answer to this, but as I've kind of gotten a little bit older, I realized that most of the wisdom in life is containing cliches. And the cliche that I'm going to use here is that try as many things as possible, right? You hear that time and time again, but just in life in general, your experience is going to be dictated by how many things you put your hand up to and how many things that you try. And so I'll break that down a bit further. I think that what, what everyone comes to university with a very unique set of interests. Try all of them, right? I came in with an interest in finance. I did finance internships in startups and in startup internships. Um, in, I, even, I even had kind of an interest in marketing. So I did some marketing internships, right? Any kind of um, interest that I've had, I've tried to follow. And a lot of my best friends that have had that, have had that same kind of experience have come to the end of their degree and really benefited from it. Um, the, the second thing is we read widely, right? We have an abundance of information on the internet. And you don't, you don't necessarily need to do an internship to kind of get exposure in a certain career path. You can literally go on LinkedIn, message someone for a coffee, right? If I'm interested in management consulting, I don't have to go and do an internship. I'm sure there's a consultant that will be happy to talk to you and tell you what a day in their life is like, what kind of projects they work on. And so you can get that information really quickly, right? Um, I think this has been the theme of our conversation that most things you can't think your way out of. You can't think your way into your purpose and you can't think your way into having a good experience, a unique experience, right? You have to put your hand up for as many things as possible. And sometimes that involves sacrificing things like marks and stuff. But I think in the long run, that's going to be a beneficial sacrifice. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think, I mean, going back to what you said earlier, um, which I think is another important idea for university students is, this idea of like people postulating and people putting on, you know, facades that they have it figured out and they have, um, you know, their life goals figured out or whatever the case may be. And I think um, an important part of these conversations is debunking that misconception because, um, you know, 99% of the time people are just making shit up, right? They're just figuring it out as they go along, um, which is something that you've touched on, you know, a few times. And um, it's cool to see that you're also self-reflective and you, you admit to yourself that, hey, you know, five, 10 years down the line, you know, your vision, your purpose might change. And I think having that flexibility is important for university students as well. I think, I think the thing is that saying things, there's market incentives to say things confidently, right? When you're a lawyer or consultant and stuff, you're, you're getting paid to say things um, with a self-insured manner and saying things um, confidently. So I think that's the crux of, of, of the issue. 
would you say there's like a limited space for vulnerability in that in that sense you yes, can't really be honest right like i think that whole 80s 90s banker that's really tough doesn't talk about skills <laughs> and stuff that's changing a lot right i've, I've yeah. noticed that the next over the last five to six years vulnerability um has been on the rise a lot mm. especially in my friendship groups i think a lot of that is mental health driven everyone's kind of understood um more so that being vulnerable isn't being weak and yeah, that's yeah. also imperative to our mental health and how we feel so i think mm. a lot, if you listen to a lot of podcasts now you will see ceos of massive companies talking about their own uncertainty which i think is awesome that we live mm. in an era where that's happening yeah and i guess it's, it's a case of like who are we fooling by not sharing a full and accurate depiction of a particular pathway um, and that was definitely one of the motives um, to this particular project as well so uh, Sachin, another sort of principle that you you live by was uh, espoused or can be found in uh, the book, The Power of Now. Um, we, talk, we touched on it off air and I wanted to bring it up now. So um, I'll read the quote that you brought up um, related to that book, which was that uh, we are constantly living in the past and the, and the future, um, but our life is a series of nows. Um, essentially what you're saying is that all that exists is the present moment. Um, so just off the bat, I just wanted to give you um, an opportunity to explain um, what that means to you personally in your own experience um, and why that's particularly resonated for you. Yeah, so I think the period in my life where this really hit home when was when I was on exchange. And there was a period of time where I was constantly listening to podcasts, reading books and stuff. Every moment I had by myself, I was always trying to improve, right? And I realized, I think it was once when I was riding my bike, because in the Netherlands, everyone rides bikes everywhere. And my thoughts were constantly like in the future about this happening. How does this play out? How does this investment play out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, and that, that's really not how I want to live my life, right? I missed all the beauty that was around me in that particular bike ride. Um, I was, my thoughts were too clouded to connect with other people. Um, and something I've been really passionate about and I think this is from an early interest in spirituality is that like, why are we here on the earth? First of all, and everyone has a different reason for that. But for me, a fundamental thing that we all have in common is some of our best moments in life are the ones where we're present, right? If you ask people what they enjoy, a lot of the time they'll say things like playing sport, maybe it's skydiving, maybe it's art or surfing or something like that. Right. And those are all moments where you're present and you can, and you're not, your brain isn't in the past or future, right? Mm -hmm. Our brains like aren't biologically wired to be constantly thinking about these things, right? And if you ask anyone when the happiest moments are, it's always when they're, when they're present. So that's a, mm -hmm. something I've been very passionate about because to me, there's no point in me achieving anything in my life if I'm not present and there for the people around me and actually, you know, having that space in between my thoughts is I think there's a quote from the Buddha, which is, um, enlightenment is the space between our thoughts, which is something I really believe in. Yeah, and I think um, what you're getting at as well is that we can we can get so caught up in the in the in the in the past uh, and the future as well. Um, and you know, personally for me, like I'm 100% victim to that, and something that I can improve on um, for sure. Um, and I think you know, I was reading a blog about the book because um, I wanted to raise it, uh, raise the idea, and um, what they were saying is that. I'll read the quote. They said that the past is nothing more than a collection of present moments gone by, uh, and the future is nothing more than present moments waiting to arrive. And I think that pretty much reflects what you just said about how um, you know the, the emphasis and focus should be on on, on the now and the present moment. Is that something that you sort of resonate with and reflect? 
hundred percent. And yeah. the thing I say here is it's difficult, right? When I first got exposed to this idea, I thought that we had to be present all the time. And honestly, mm-hmm. that's not functional, right? We can't do well at work or uni or whatever if we're present all the time because we need to be mm-hmm. planning, um, studying or like etc. Planning things with friends. But we have very little moments in our life when we're present, right? So and it's things you can integrate into your everyday life. Like when you're brushing your teeth, you notice that your thoughts are everywhere, everywhere. So now when I'm brushing my teeth, I just try and really bring it back to what's happening right now. And I think when you do that, you discover a lot of beauty in the world. Like when I meditate in my back garden every day. I look around and I see things that I never saw before I meditated. I see little movements in the trees. I see little insects that I never would have noticed because my head's so clouded with thoughts. And those things to me are like what's beautiful about life. And often we're missing them all the time. Yeah, I think that's that's really valuable, particularly for university students who you, you can get so caught up, as you mentioned, in this idea of um, constantly growing and developing. And, you know, you need to spend 100% of your time on your on yourself and developing yourself. But um, I think developing tools like self-awareness as you've done through meditation is is really important as well. Um, another sort of uh, topic I wanted to touch on, and I suppose like a philosophy or tenet which you 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 live by, um, was that was that idea of the data points and the fact that um, the more data points you have, the better prediction you can make. And I think, you know, particularly for young people um, who might be in the later years of high school or early years of university. Um, it's about collecting information, right? Collecting those data points, as you put it in your analogy. Um, so what exactly does that analogy mean? And how can students out there, whether, whether they be university or high school, um, how can they leverage that, um, that idea? Yeah, so, so this isn't that similar thematic to what we were talking about before, about having as many experiences as possible and following mm-hmm. your curiosity, right? And I, I don't want to get too like econometric right here, but... Um, if you're a business student, one of the first things you learn is that to have better predictions, you need more data points, right? And I think that's an, un, an idea that can make intuitive sense to most people. And for me, that analogy was one, a way of kind of getting my message across to the more quanti people that may not, you know, understand how I was um, saying it before. But it's true. Like, as I said before, all those coffees, all those kind of internships, um, all that research on the internet, that all gives you a more firmer idea of where you want to go. Um, and, and sometimes it sometimes it may not feel like that. Sometimes the more information you get, the more confused you can get, right? Which is, I think, something we need to acknowledge. But I think generally, as you as you kind of talk to more people, you, you have a more clear um, understanding of where you want to go towards and what kind of an ideal career or an ideal whatever looks like for you. Um, so, so it's a simple idea. Um, and the way it's actually come into my, my, my life recently is through the podcast where we've been talking to a lot of venture capitalists. And through that, I've really decided that's a place I want to go in the future. Um, me and Adam have this ambition of starting a social impact VC um, in the next five to 10 years. So that's something we're kind of working towards now. Um, and that's, that's an insight or a career insight that's come from all these data points of talking to these people and hearing about their experiences. So, I mean, for those that don't know, like who aren't business savvy or tech savvy, what is a VC? Can you explain that for people who don't know? Yeah, so a a VC is short for venture capitalist. And what a venture capital firm does is it invests in early stage companies Mm -hmm. um, at different times in their journey and gives them funding to scale up their growth. So if you think about the biggest businesses of our time, your Airbnbs, your Facebooks, your Ubers, they were all funded by VCs, right? And VCs 
have actually had a pretty profound impact on their trajectory of growth, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested in that space in using capital to facilitate new social innovations because I just think that would be the coolest job. And that's an insight that's only come to me in the last few months. Yeah. And I think that that point you made earlier about, you know, the spectrum and the spectrum of um, businesses that students have about on one hand, you know, solely private companies. And then on the other hand, you know, your charitable organizations, the archetypal charities. Um, I think understanding that spectrum is um, um, an important point you raise. And uh, again, it's, it's grounded in a sense of realism and sh sharing information, which um, is, you know, something that uh, has come across come across a lot in our conversation so far. Um, Sachin, we're pretty much uh, nearing the end of our time together. Honestly, that flew by, I'm not gonna lie. I keep glancing at the, the watch down there. Um, so I just wanted to end on quite a general uh, open-ended question. Uh, I came across uh, a podcast episode. I must have referred to your podcast like 10 billion times by now. If you haven't checked it out, I'll leave it in the description or that. Uh, all that jazz um super interesting interesting podcasts um i'm not gonna lie so on one of those podcast episodes you talked about um two things which set people up for success which you learned through your own experiences um, so firstly you talked about number one finding what you're genuinely curious about uh, and number two um, having a growth mindset so i suppose in closing um was there any final piece of advice that you give to a, a student out there, whether they be um, in high school or university, um, you know, who might not have, um, you know, confidence in, in in a vision or a particular purpose or their why, as they, as they, um, as some people put it, um, what advice would you give to that person to, um, um, to gain a bit more clarity and to, I suppose, ease their reservations or concerns that they may have? Yeah, cool. So the first thing I'd say to that is it's okay to not have that vision or why or whatever. I know it's all this societal pressure to always have everything figured out. And I think that throughout this conversation, we've spoken to most people don't. So don't worry too much if you don't have it yet. But the way I'd approach um, going about to finding it is, first of all, follow your curiosities, right? If there's something that you're always driven towards, whether it's something you're always reading about, whether it's something that you come across on YouTube or the internet or whatever, um, follow those curiosities, right? See where they lead you. See if this is a space you can see yourself in. And I think the second thing that I haven't mentioned yet is reflection. I think reflection is so important and your podcast is a testament to this, but sit down with yourself and think about who you are as a person. Think about what you value. Think about what kind of legacy you want to lead your life with. And that's an awesome way to find out what you actually care about. And so for me, I did this in first year and I sat down and I thought about my death a lot, which is counterintuitive. Um, and something a lot of the Stoics used to do um, back in ancient Greece. But I thought about my death and I thought about my funeral in particular. And I thought about what I wanted, what I wanted to leave my brother, my best friends and my parents with at my funeral. And from that, when you write that down, what you want them to say about you, you get a big sense of your values and what you want them to be, right? And the other point of reflection um, on death, sorry, the other, the other point of reflection that I've kind of say has been useful to me is think about what the ideal life you wanna live is. What does your perfect day look like, right? I'll give you an example. For me, my perfect day revolves around waking up, going for a morning surf, meditating on the beach, um, having a job or like I have this vision in my head of um, leading a team, whether that's a VC or whether that's something else, um, 
towards social impact, like a goal towards that. And then in the afternoon, it was about a workout and um, spending time with my friends and family, right? And I think that that's really achievable in my life. And that's kind of what I'm working towards now. Um, but I think, I think that all of our, both mine and your podcasts are very future-based, right? They're always about what are we going to do in the future or whatever. Um, and, and that's awesome. But I think it's also important to remember that life is happening right now, right? Life isn't happening 10 years down the time. Life isn't happening when you have a grad job. If you ask most people older than you, they'll say their best moments were in university, right? So I don't think students should forget that. It can be so easy to caught up in the after university world and I'm in it now. And I can tell you that don't, on top of all this stuff, finding your purpose, whatever, just enjoy the time, really just enjoy it. I think, yeah, that's, that's a profound message to, to leave our um, viewers uh, with. And I think, I mean, based on our conversation so far, like I appreciate your, your honesty and vulnerability um, in sharing your experiences. And I think um, that's something that, that's a central theme that's run throughout this conversation is being honest and vulnerable with yourself um, to figure out, you know, what makes you tick? Um, you know, what are the things you like to do? Um, you know, where do you see yourself in five, 10 years or whatever the case may be. So um, I just want to firstly, thank you for um, you know, being transparent and open session. Um, and thank you secondly for your time um, this morning, nine o'clock on a, on a was it Thursday morning. Um, mm -hmm. I appreciate your time greatly. Um, I'm fully aware that people who I have these conversations with, you know, I have no obligation or no commitment to me um, to share their time and experiences. So uh, I just want to say I'm super grateful for that. Thanks, Sid. No, I really enjoyed it. And for those, just quickly, just for those that um, aren't aware, um, we've touched on a few times, Sachin has the Sachin and Adam sh uh, show, which is a podcast. Um, I'll leave all that links and good stuff down below um, if you want to check it out.